I'm Travis Bader, and this is the Silver Core Podcast. Join me as I discuss matters related to hunting, fishing, and outdoor pursuits with the people and businesses that comprise the community. If you're new to Silver Core, be sure to check out our website, www.silvercore.ca, where you can learn more about courses, services, and products that we offer, as well as how you can join the Silver Core Club, which includes $10 million in North America-wide liability insurance ensure you are properly covered during your outdoor adventures. The summer season is upon us and it's time to think about enjoying the great outdoors. To help with that, Climate Gear is providing Silver Core Club members with a whopping 35% off their backcountry gear. Climate makes durable, high-quality, value-driven, and most importantly, comfortable backcountry kit. If you're in the market for sleeping bags, tents, hammocks, sleeping pads, pillows, and much more, check out what Climate.com has to offer. That's K-L-Y-M-I-T.com. Now you can't think of summer without thinking about backyard barbecues, and nothing beats the flavor of properly cooked and smoked food. I've personally been using a Bradley smoker for years, and for the month of July, all Silvercore members will receive a huge 20% discount on everything available on the Bradley Smoker website. What's more, one lucky Silvercore member will be walking away with a brand new professional series Bradley Smoker. This smoker is Bradley's latest offering, which is completely insulated, has a stainless steel body and will provide smoke for up to 10 hours with no refill. For more details, check out silvercore.ca. So today I'm speaking with Ian Jones, who spends his time as an airline captain flying all around the world, working on a hobby farm and as a panelist for the Canadian Prepper podcast. Ian, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on, Travis. The Canadian Prepper podcast, that's an interesting one. When I first heard about that one, I just get these visions of doomsday preppers. Yeah, alien abductions, all the other regular stuff that the, uh, the media likes to push, absolutely. After listening to it a bit, well, there are some really interesting things that are talked about. I'd say that you guys are far from the doomsday preppers and zombie apocalypse types. How did you get into the prepping world? Well, I think uh, when they would say the word prepping, it's more of a kind of a media concoction in the last 20 years or so. In reality, I mean, I'd say 30 years ago, if you were just a regular farmer, you were a prepper and everything but name. But they've attached that label to it to almost stigmatize somebody. But uh, in, in reality, it's more just an everyday thing. And it, it's a natural progression when you do get something like a hobby farm going. You just happen to become a prepper by nature. Uh, simply the fact that you have to deal with power outages. You have to deal with you know food shortages uh, for the animals, uh, for yourself if you can't get out of the farm. If you're in the prairies and a big snowstorm happens, naturally you're going to want to have food in the, in the pantry or else you're not going to be able to eat for the next few days because you can't go to the grocery store every day. Totally. So it, uh, it, 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 I think it's been a lifelong thing for me as well. Starting out from early uh, age, my father, well, uh, I don't think I can get much more Canadian than this. So my father, the Mountie, met my mother, the immigrant, on an Indian reservation. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then they, uh, in the typical Canadian fashion, they got married soon thereafter, uh, had kids. Uh, they were living on the prairies. And, of course, living on the prairies, we had to deal with extreme cold weather, power outages. They did have a, a small hobby farm as well. I'd say after that, for me, it was an early introduction to hunting for my father, uh, shooting gophers for money on the farm for other farmers because uh, gophers gophers create the holes, damages the horse hooves. And so they wanted me to get rid of the gophers as a means to uh, protect their livestock. So 
that was uh, one of my first jobs with my brothers when I was in my single digit years. Good for you. <laughs> and so uh, early introduction to firearms, whether it be BB guns and onwards. And then uh, as I got to be a teenager in the middle of the, the Cold War era, there's always the the, the menace of uh, <laughs> imminent destruction or anything else, which of course is going to play on your psyche a little bit. But I mean, as I got up through high school, we were still hunting after schools. This is back in the day when you could actually have a 22 in the back of your pickup truck at the high school parking lot. And nobody even batted an eye. Matter of fact, the high school teachers would come out and show you their 22 or whatever they had in the back of the truck. And you'd come compare notes and go wherever hunting, wherever you want, right after school. And the good old days. The good old days, yeah. So then after that, of course, I uh, when I got into aviation, uh, I finished up college. Relatively, I was out of college by 19. And I got sent up to the Northwest Territories. And there, of course, I'm flying a single-engine airplane over the bush. And, you know, any minute now, that engine could, uh, you know, sputter. Right. And then you're in the bush. And so you have to kind of start thinking of the what ifs. So between the aviation and the the location where I was, natural progression, you're going to have to have a backpack full of supplies that you're comfortable carrying around in the back of the airplane. And so typically, it was a very normal thing. This is back before 95 as well. So firearms rules a little different. And uh, so you want to have at least a 22 with you to you know hunt ptarmigan or whatever. And then, uh, so yeah, after I finished up with that, I uh, got it down to uh, back into civilization. But of course... Old habits die hard, so I continued hunting. Right. Uh, continued shooting. It just never really left me after that. Um, so after after a little bit of a break from firearms after a C-68 went through <laughs> and the registry and everything else, I did keep a couple of my father's firearms because he didn't want to register them, so he gave them to me, so I registered them. Uh, complied with the law, as a law-abiding gun owner should. Sure. And uh, so anyways, yeah, I just held out to those until I was actually able to get back into it. So once I uh, left Ontario after a stint of about 13 years out there, I wanted to move back out to the West Coast, and the only place I could afford was uh, Vancouver Island, which uh, we managed to secure a hobby farm there. And so it's it's great. We back on the Crownland where we are. We have uh, you know nice privacy and uh, ample hunting opportunities. And now, ever since we took over the hobby farm, it's, we've gotten back into uh, livestock and more and more hunting. And now, of course, dealing with regular power outages, we do get snowstorms on the island. It's just progressed, and then so uh, yeah, we just carry on with the proper lifestyle. You're essentially living the dream over there. Uh, it's it's sometimes a dream, sometimes a nightmare. It depends on the day. A lot of work, a lot <laughs> yeah. of work. Yeah, it's uh, funny because they don't build a lot of buildings to handle cold weather out here. And uh, so when you do get, it might only be minus five, which is like a, a normal summer day in the prairies. It's, uh, yeah, it gets a little bit uh, hard to deal with the frozen waters and everything else when there's no power to some of these chicken coops and stuff. But uh, yeah, so we've, we've carried on and have to still work full time as well as managing the hobby farm. And uh, so I got talking with a couple guys that, um, how did it actually progress? I guess a couple guys I used to do Krav Maga with, I was talking with, which is a martial art we used to do in Ontario. Right. And in the course of the conversation, the one guy mentioned he was going to start up a podcast and he did a couple episodes by himself and it was Eric, the, the host of the podcast. And he actually asked if anybody wanted to join him and I just kind of on lark said, okay, I'll do it, but I'm not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> Remotely compared to most guys, like I'm no, uh, you know, Les Stroud or anything else and but when we got talking about it, there's actually a few people that are actually doing the actual lifestyle. Like a lot of guys like to talk about it. Like we call it LARPing or live action role playing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, a lot of guys like to talk about the zombie apocalypse and what's the best tactical yeah. loadout for a bug out and everything else. But it's all theoretical and very few people are actually homesteading, uh, modern day homesteading. I mean, it's just not as hard as it used to be. I mean, uh, when you can just run down 10 minutes down the road and get it to a feed store. But there are some challenges and it's been a huge learning experience. So we've been at it for about seven years now and been podcasting a little over a year and I'm still learning and it's been fantastic. That whole zombie apocalypse thing always has me 
chuckling. I, recently, I was reading some guy says, what makes you think that in a zombie apocalypse, you're going to be one of the guys who isn't a zombie? Yeah, uh, I guess there's a lot of problems with that, too. Uh, you know, everybody has the uh, the fantasy of the, the prepper fantasy of having, you know, like the uh, the M16 in one hand and the prepper concubine in the other, you know, with the scantily clad girl and who's like sure. perfectly coiffed and everything else and <laughs> thinks it's more like zombie land where the power stays on and the gas works for the next uh, 10 years. It doesn't quite work like that, right? I mean, there's a lot of misnomers. Like, you look at The Walking Dead and it's just a, uh, a cavalcade of, of errors. You know, when you think the cars are still running years and years later and after about three months in reality, they stop. Yeah. Because uh, the gas would go bad. So so the term prepper, I mean, you, you, when you hear prepper, you think doomsday prepper. You think kind of kooky, but you don't really associate prepper with just, yeah, hey, I'm a hobby farmer. I, I'm a guy who likes to be prepared for, you know, any eventuality. I, I've got a knife in my pocket or I have a first aid kit in my truck. Yeah, I think uh, 30 years ago, like I said, if you were on a farm, it was just called normal life. But... Uh, thanks to the Doomsday Prepper show and everything else, people are a little afraid to attach that logo. But uh, I think Jack Spierko actually on the Survival Podcast did a great little episode on that saying that, you know, listen, it's it's a natural occurrence that's going to happen. You're going to be a prepper if you're a farmer because you have to be. Because mm. you're going to lose money if you're not prepared for a power outage or a feed shortage. Or you're just not going to be successful. And, you know, whether you just want to have a supply of screws on hand rather than, you know, making a run to the Home Depot because it's going to take half a day to get there and back. You just want to be prepared for a lot of, um, I guess, what do you call eventualities or, you know, things yeah. that just do pop, happen to pop up. So right now we're in the middle of COVID. We're talking about restrictions being possibly loosened, but there's also talk about a second wave. Nobody really knows what's kind of going on there. What sort of things, aside from stockpiling toilet paper, which we all know is a prepper's number one thing they should be doing, I don't believe... I. I Really don't understand that one. You know, you can't poop if you don't eat. And so by stockpiling toilet paper, that means you're going to have an extremely clean, you know, rear end, but you're not going to have anything to, to soil it with either. So I think it's just something that's cheap, easy to get, and makes people feel a little more secure. So mm. there's a psychological aspect to grabbing toilet paper, and it's something they know they're going to use. Sure. But in reality, if you were a, a true preparedness-minded person, you'd want to get like something that you're going to use, like say instead of one can of beans, just buy a second can of beans, which is a term they call ghosting. So if you happen to go to the grocery store and you and you eat Heinz beans, instead of grabbing one case, grab two cases so that maybe you just have a little extra backup for next time. And it's a slow progression where you slowly build up your food stores and before you know it, you've got a six-month supply of food in the background. And it didn't really, you yeah. didn't really notice the increased cost because it took a long time to get there. Yeah, ghosting. Never heard that one before. There's a couple of bad terms associated that with that as well, but <laughs> only people that go to the Urban Dictionary for that one. But uh, yeah, no, it's um, it's not a hard thing to get into. It's just I think a lot of people think it's overwhelming to start when they say, "Well, geez, I've got to get you know gas, I got to get food, beans, bullets, band aids," um, you know, just one bite at a time, just like eating an elephant. Right. So, I think most people will associate prepping with hoarding, with having a bunch of stuff, but wouldn't training and a proper mindset be the first thing that somebody should really be looking at for a prepper? I think the the best thing a person could have is uh, what's in their mind uh, because nobody can take it from you. Right. So if you get knowledge and training, that's something that's yours to keep and share right. as you see fit. I mean, so the best money that you can spend instead of getting like 20,000 rounds of ammunition and 10 guns, get one gun, 1,000 rounds of ammunition as a stockpile yeah, yeah. and then lots of training involved and shoot like another 5,000 rounds to train you'd be much better off because that training can't be taken away from you. Like the old saying goes, beware the man with one gun. <laughs> That's right. 
And so, uh, yeah, we, we talk about hoarding. Uh, well, we can talk about guns too. Like, I mean, for myself, like I said, I had a miner's FAC back in the day when they had those at uh, age 15. And then, so I, that means I could go up by myself. 16, I had an FAC. Switched over to a uh, PALS by nature of having the FAC ahead of time. According right. to the RCMP, they still have them. If you listen to the RCMP briefings lately, <laughs> one guy mentioned the FAC. Um, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, that was pretty sad. But that is strongly associated with prepping. But, you know, you have car insurance, you have house insurance. The way I look at it, if you have a couple thousand rounds of ammunition, you know, stockpiled away, that's just ammunition insurance because it's not so much even a shortage, it's a price hedging. You know, ammunition is only going up in price. If you can get a sale and you get a thousand rounds for a decent price, you don't have to use it. You can just let it sit there and then, you know, eventually use it up. And, uh, yeah, for example, like right now, we're going through an ammunition shortage, gun shortage, thanks to the COVID. Right. Uh, I went to Kibala's the other day, actually, to pick up some uh, reloading gear. And at first I thought, well, geez, is this, uh, is this shortage of the, of the gun rack? Is it because of the, you know, the, or the panic going down the States or is it because of the prohibs? Maybe they took down a bunch of prohibs the other day. And uh, the guy's like, no, it's all COVID-19 panic. And he said, uh, couldn't get a gun for the longest time. They just got the ammunition restocked. Have you found that people approach you differently since COVID? Like they're, I'm sure some people will have that in the back of their mind, prepper. Uh, you know, it's a little kooky. I'll make a joke about that, right? I know, I know you, you're a good guy, but I'll, I'll joke about it. And afterwards, they, they some come to you looking for advice. A lot of guys at work, I'll mention, I'll, I'll get a feel for them first to make sure they're kind of open to the idea. And then I'll kind of mention that I have a hobby farm and then it kind of progresses from there. And, you know, eventually we get talking and a surprisingly large amount of people are very interested uh, before COVID. But now the guys that, you know, like they were interested, we talked. And we still went our separate ways. But then now you'll get random texts or calls from guys like, hey, uh, what would you recommend I do for this? And one guy actually called me over. We did kind of a consult on the property and just kind of pointed out a couple of things where he could maybe improve things. And he was just thrilled. And I think it just, it, it like under that peace of mind aspect, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, on top of saving money, if you have uh, stuff, you know, price hedging, uh, food sales, you got the cost savings, you got the less reliance on the man. You don't have to worry about like going to a bread line because you got a little bit of food insurance. That's great. But then the uh, the feeling of uh, peace of mind is huge. So like if you all of a sudden have like, you know, 195 masks, well, maybe 10 N95 masks even, and a pandemic happens to roll by, do you really feel the need to run down and panic by anything? Mm. No, a little bit of peace of mind. Being a prepper, one of the rules I should imagine is don't advertise to everybody that you have a stockpile and you have all of these things because if... <laughs> The shit does hit the fan. You don't want anyone coming to your place. It's yeah. a little little counterintuitive being the guy with the answers, being the guy on the the podcast, and and here I am talking about it on a podcast. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fine line between uh, paranoia, opsec, and uh, wanting to get the word out because really, by getting more people on the plan, quote unquote, you're actually re- reducing the burden of the government. If it comes down to emergency situation, uh, the government has to you know lay out less supplies. They have to worry about less people. And uh, that you don't have to sit there, like I said, go crawling up, up in line with a cap in hand, hoping that you can get a handout. Right. So it's doing everybody a favor by talking about it. And it, I think with that stigma attached to it, it is a little tougher, but eventually you get used to it. I was very closed-lipped for the longest time. And it wasn't until I started the podcast early on that we, uh, we said, okay, well, I didn't really say my last name for the longest time. And then all of a sudden uh, on Slamfire, I think they mentioned my last name and a couple other ones. Um, Whoops. And then, you know, like uh, the guys at work now are, are pretty much aware Maybe not the bosses, but I don't know. <laughs> but uh, it doesn't really matter, really. I mean, it, it right. doesn't affect the way I work or anything else. And it, it has nothing to do with work. It's, right. just, it's just something to do on the side. People, Some people like to shine up Corvettes. Mm. Some, I like to just like, you know, maintain a generator. Well, I mean, it's just. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of hobbies that 
spring off of that are are endless, whether it's woodworking, metalworking, construction, uh, animal husbandry, it, foraging, hunting, fishing, it just goes on and on. Well, we, we sign off every episode with, you know, uh, be prepared to stay safe and keep learning because uh, it is a, a side effect of being a prepar- uh, prepper is, is you're going to learn no matter what, uh, whether it be just how to run a generator, how to maintain a generator, how guns work. Like the best thing you do is, you know, apply this mat right here, learn how to take apart your, your firearm, service it, fix it. And then also if you have a few spare parts, you don't have to go running to a gunsmith to, to fix it because mm-hmm. you'll know exactly what's wrong with it. Where would you start somebody off? Ghosting? Would that be the first place where you'd start? Yeah. The guys uh, on Slamfire asked me one thing about, you know, five things right okay. now. What would you do? And and so, of course. And there's it, never five things yeah, that can. It's such a hard thing to do, on the, especially on the spur of the moment. Yeah. Um, and that was for bug out bags and everything else, which is another whole story. But for prepping uh, food insurance, just like car insurance, house insurance, everything else. Why not just have food insurance? And it's not even, uh, again, it could be price hedging. Maybe you just get a good deal on rice and so you get a few bags instead of one. Or you just want to have uh, something in case you're locked in the house for a snowstorm in you know, Winnipeg in the middle of winter. Just common sense. It's not it's not paranoia. Um, so I'd say food first. Yeah. And it really, as long as you've got even two weeks worth of food, if you are if you really want to minimize it, yeah, within two weeks, I'd say the government could probably organize something in two weeks. They do advertise a 72-hour bag. But let's face it, the government never works that fast. <laughs> they could they could never arrange a mass relief organization in seventy two hours to save their life. And it's not a that's not a knock on them. It's just a it's a slow inertia machine, right? It is what it is. Yeah. And so the best thing you can do for yourself and your family, especially if you have one, is just to make sure that you at least have a week's worth of food. Work from there. You know, and once you've met that goal, well, okay, well, maybe get a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then of course the natural progression is, well, now that I have a couple weeks worth of food. What happens if my neighbor comes to knock it? <laughs> and it's like, well, then, okay, then I got to worry about like, uh, you know, maybe security systems, better window coverings, uh, maybe just planting a couple of thorn bushes underneath your windows yeah. before you even worry about firearms. And, you know, firearms for self-defense, as we know, is not a, is not a great thing in Canada. What about a dog? A dog, exactly. We call it biologicals, right? There you and go. so we have, we have a few dogs on the acreage and for different purposes. Uh, we have one that's like an outs, outside all the time guard dog, and he actually is a livestock protection dog. So he actually prote- protects the chickens, protects the alpacas. And warns us of intruders. And he actually chased one off about a month ago, just after the COVID thing started going a little oh, Really? Yeah, which is actually, I saw the flashlight go running off the property, so. You see? Yeah. They know. They know. They know. You're prepared. And, and they're always on duty, and they don't need batteries. They're fantastic. Um, so after dogs, of course, we've got an inside dog uh, for the same idea, and a companion dog for when I'm not there. So we've actually got three of them. So yeah, biologicals is a great idea, but long before the firearms. Firearms for us, food procurement. Mm-hmm. That's basically when you're looking at a preparedness thing, you want to be able to get your own food. Mm. And of course, that's going to lead into the hunting aspect, which is going to be very educational. Absolutely. What about water? Well, water depends on where you are. If you're uh, in a, you know, if you have D slough nearby and you can filter water, fantastic. You know, you've got a great, you know, unlimited water supply there. If the water table's a few inches deep, even better. You can do a shallow well. If you're in the middle of, say, Kelowna and, you know, you're downtown and, you know, you're not near the lake, but you're in a desert climate, that's a problem. Uh, so... I wouldn't even say Kelowna. That's a bad example. Say, uh, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think of a desert area. More arid area. Yeah, yeah like a Soyuz and nowhere near the lake or something. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, water's a thing. Like, you know, the, the rule of threes, you know, say uh, three days, or sorry, uh, three days without water, 30 days without food, three hours without a proper, like, uh, clothing or, or shelter, three minutes without hope. Mm. Three minutes without air, maybe three seconds without hope, something like that. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard <laughs> something like that before. Yeah, so uh, water, absolutely. Um, 
you know, just whether it be just a filter that you might need for the local water supply or actually stored water. Some people actually really firmly believe in having stored water in the property. For me, I have rainwater catchment systems. We get 48 inches of rain per year where we live. Sooner or later, it's going to rain. And if you have enough catchment ability, then you don't have to worry too much because the next rainstorm is only a couple, couple days away. Mm-hmm. Um, our well is 400 feet deep, so without power, we're kind of hooped. But Sure. Uh, so rainwater catchments are a big thing. But some people just have like a, a swamp nearby, a river nearby. Some people have um, in the apartments, they have to have some stored water because it's all electric pumps. Mm-hmm. Power goes out, no water. Makes sense. It, it, so no two situations are the same, but obviously without food, it, you're going to need water as well. So I always figured we've got a hot, hot water tank. That's a big storage thing of water. And we've got a hot tub. I mean, it sounds disgusting, but you can distill that, right? You got something if you need it. Yeah, you can distill it. You can filter it. I mean, uh, if you've ever cleaned out your hot water tank and done that flush out of the bottom, right. the brown stuff goes out. <laughs> I want to do that fairly regularly, but uh, it is a supply, absolutely. I mean, even over worst case now, the top of the toilets. I mean, sure. it is fresh water going in there. It's yeah. Unless somebody left an upper deck in there or something. <laughs> <laughs> but you might want to edit that one out. <laughs> or not. Or not, yeah. Um, so food, water. When we start doing these what-if scenarios, it gets... I, I find people get carried away. What if you're in this situation, but you have no access to A, B, C, and D, and you can only do this, and it gets a little silly. If we want to take a look at what's reasonable that we can kind of prepare ourselves for, I think food supply, the supply chain, that'd be one of them. Obviously, in the middle of a pandemic, there's certain things that our access is limited to now. What about during a pandemic, if there is an emergency? What if we, the big one hit right now, right? What if there's flooding, earthquake, fires? I live in an area where there's propensity for forest fires, right? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you look at the doomsday preppers and I used to laugh at that one because I, I don't think I only watched the first season, but it was always like, I'm preparing for the mega earthquake. Right. And nothing else. Or I'm preparing for the zombie apocalypse. I'm preparing for an economic collapse. They're all always preparing for one thing. But in reality, and I'm going to steal a line off uh, one of the other guys on YouTube there, um, with a prepared mind, uh, John, his name is. Anyways, he always says, food, water, shelter, clothing, means of self-defense, and a plan. Hmm. If you have all those things, you're probably good for about 95% of the actual emergencies that are going to happen. Yeah, totally. I mean, because let's face it, you know, you're far more likely to have a pandemic, an economic collapse, or even say an earthquake here in Vancouver than you are to have like the zombie apocalypse government overreach, uh, you know, whatever, whatever else people might be preparing for. But I mean, as long as you've got the basics covered, I mean, really, you're, you're doing yourself a huge favor and you're going to be prepared for most eventualities. I mean, first aid thing is, is one of these, I don't think you could ever really overdo first aid, mm. uh, especially with training, not just equipment, but training is kind of critical. And I don't think anybody's ever going to hold it against you for being a first aid guru. I would think so. I'd hope not. <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> think so. Uh, because at the very least, you'd be able to help out uh, in case of some major calamity or whatever, right? On the list of priorities on the training side, what sort of things do you like to spend your time learning and educating yourself on? Well, it's, uh, again, a natural progression with all the stuff. When I was paying for my flight training back in college, I worked at uh, what was Overweighty Foods, became Save sure. Foods. And uh, I worked in uh, the store there and they would offer free courses. And they said, well, hey, we need an uh, industrial first aid attendant. And so if anybody's willing to become the industrial first aid attendant and help us out with our WCB needs, we'll pay for the course, we'll pay your wages while you're on the course, and we'll give you a raise for having it if you pass. Sign me up. Yeah, sign me up. And that not only knocks up your preparedness level, but it's it's better for your career prospects at the time, and it makes you more valuable to your employer and everything else. It's something that can tie into life really well. So 
when stuff like that came up, I always stuck my hand up. Mm. So there's a lot of free training that came along uh, with various jobs. As far as everyday stuff, I mean, I'm pretty busy on the farm right now, but I've taken, uh, I took a Stop the Bleed last year at the broadca- uh, podcaster charity shoot. Both my daughters, I ran through the standard first aid course. So for me, it's a refresher, but for them, it's the first time. But I always say, I'll, I'll run the first one with you, and you have to do your recurrent on your own. Right. And so uh, regular first aid courses, I actually want to take one of those TCCC here next year. But with all this COVID stuff going on, it's very hard to try and arrange course dates. A little difficult, isn't it? Tell me about it. <laughs> As far as uh, firearms courses, yeah, again, I want to actually get into a little bit more, but now with this latest uh, uh, OIC came through, it's going to put a hitch in a lot of people's plans and a lot of training courses, I'm sure, too. Sure, yeah. But that was more about entertainment and, uh, and a supporting aspect than anything else, but actual real preparedness stuff. I mean, uh, for me, I've been learning how to can uh, vicariously through my wife, mostly, because she was doing most of the canning. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we have a couple neighbors that are very old, and they actually have a lot of skill sets uh, that are very surprising. One guy around the corner, he's a ham operator. And he's like, anytime you want to come over and learn more about ham radio, just let me know. And I, I just love to take him up on it. I just don't have the time right now. Yeah, those guys, they're, they're big time preppers. They're all preparing for when all communications go down and they've got their safety net. And they're old enough. They lived through World War II, so they know all about food shortages. That's they, right. Because they were over in Italy. And uh, yeah, fantastic people. But um, yeah, there, there's always sorts of learning opportunities to be had. It's just a matter of trying to organize them. But uh, there's no wasted l- learning opportunity. What do you typically keep... Well, maybe not in your vehicle. Do we want to talk about what you typically keep in your vehicle? Sure. Why what, not? what would you typically keep? What would you recommend a person would typically keep in their vehicle just to be moderately prepared for uh, for life? Okay. So, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about the obvious here for a second. Uh, on C- every CGN thread available on Canadian Gun Nuts, everybody's talking about their favorite truck gun. Uh, I mean, in reality, I mean, in a place like here, you're not going to need it. Right. If you're living up in the Northwest Territories, it's it's a it's a valid thing, especially during hunting season. It's uh, if you are stuck and you know you have the opportunity to hunt some target, yeah, great. A little 22 in the truck, fantastic. But for the most part, around here, it's it's going to raise more questions and raise more eyebrows from the uh, the local constabulary than it's going to actually provide any service to you. So seasonally appropriate clothing all the time. When you're waiting for the ferry to go over to the island, there's nothing better than having a blanket and a pillow in the car, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Especially when you're sitting in a stopped vehicle in the middle of winter. Uh, so for me, I always got a, a first aid kit in the truck of some sort, uh, as well as a tourniquet. Because if you happen to drive along, a, uh, happen upon a car accident, which is extremely common, and certainly more common than a lot of other scenarios you can think of. Sure. Having a, a good first aid kit, tourniquet, and you know even a blanket for the, the shock aspect is... Fantastic gear to have. So I've got seasonally appropriate clothing, a blanket, first aid kit, a little bit of food, because whether you're stuck in traffic, you got kids that are upset in the back because they're hungry, a little bit of water, can't hurt. Yeah. As long as it's not going to freeze solid on you. And it's, uh, for me, stuff that makes my life easier when it comes to changing a tire. So I've got a proper tire iron, like the big yeah, X-shaped yeah. ones. I've got, uh, you know, a little uh, cigarette lighter powered air inflator, you know, a couple of little truck bits in there, uh, even a... a Sweet saw, because when I go actually in the, the forestry roads, I don't bring a chainsaw. But if you happen to come across the log that's down across the road, it's much easier to just sweet saw that bad boy out of the way. And just, yeah, good <laughs> just point. Go. Because sometimes you can go out into a road and come back, there's a tree down. So bug out bag or bug in bag? Well, I'd say, I'm going to say bug out bag only for the simple fact that 99, 98% of contingencies I'm going to be bugging in. Mm. And really everybody should. Because you've got all your gear there, you've got all your supplies there, you know what's there and you know how to organize it. And unless the place is on fire or somebody's pounding down your door to come in and like harm you and your family, there's really no reason to leave. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm having trouble actually coming up with a good scenario that would, you know, justify it. Like you look at the Fort McMurray, or Fort McMurray fires back a few days ago or a few days, a few years ago now. Yeah. Um, 
absolutely. Those guys had a, a valid reason to bug out, and they yeah, didn't they have did. a whole lot of notice to do it. They had about 10, 15 minutes, so they had to leave. And that's where the bug out bag would have just been worth its weight in gold. Any bug out bag for a car should have a couple jerry cans because you're not going to stop for gas on the way out. And if you haven't kept your tank above half, well, you, you failed as a prepper, but also. Yes. <laughs> but also, you should just, uh, so that way you don't have to stop at gas and then line up like everybody else. So, uh, the bug out bag, if I was going to design it, it would definitely include gas and cash. Okay. And that's something you're going to use every day. And it's not hard to to get. It's not going to raise any eyebrows for having. And it's just common sense. Gas and cash. Anything else in there? Oh, there's going to be food, seasonally appropriate clothing, yeah. first aid kit. Uh, so all the regular stuff that you have with your stuff. vehicle anyways. But uh, the bug out kit shouldn't be uh, you know, comprised of a whole bunch of weapons, a whole bunch of cooking gear and everything else. It shall be pre-cooked because you're not going to stop and start a little campfire on a bug out. You shouldn't. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, you're because you're bugging your lo- out. You're bugging out. You're going to give away your location. You're going to stop to start a fire and get it up to boiling temperatures and everything else. It should all be pre-done. So that's just my opinion anyway. Somebody's going to argue with me on that one. I'm, you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> you can't stop that. No, exactly. That's going to happen no matter what. But, uh, you know, bugging out to kit is really actually extremely simple. And uh, if you can deal with the realistic stuff, flat tires, tired people, hurt people, you're kind of going to be covered for a lot of scenarios. You're looking to be as lightweight and mobile as possible. You're not looking at packing down just a whole bunch of everything, putting your whole house on your back and moving out. Well, when you go for a weekend camping trip, you know how full your truck gets. Can, yeah. <laughs> Depends on the type of camping, yes. Yeah, say if you're going up to the hot springs or whatever, you know, the local campsite, and you're going to bring your, your Coleman camp stove and your propane tank and everything else. In reality, you're not going to carry that in your back. Right. So if you are going to carry stuff on your back, it's going to be very light and, you know, as little as possible. If you're bugging out in a vehicle, okay, you can carry a lot more, but you still have to fit the family pets, probably you, your family, everybody else in there. Less is more, I'd say in this case. Did you have a background in uh, Boy Scouts or anything else? Looking at this whole be, be prepared model that the uh, <laughs> the podcast has? Yeah, that kind of gave it away. So uh, <laughs> beavers, cubs, and scouts. And uh, yeah, I went all the way through. And uh, my buddy of mine was trying to get me into air cadets. And I was like, ah, what do I ever need air cadets for? It's not like I'm going to be a pilot or anything. <laughs> Whoops. So he was right on that one, but, uh, no, all the way through. And it's been, it was fantastic because that was actually my first winter camping experience. And I think I was maybe 12 at the time. And it's a bit of a wake up call there too. Cause when you're used to sleeping in a nice warm bed every night, yes, it's not always like that. And I had my eye on the RCMP and the, and the military for a while as well. So, um, that was kind of a good lead in, but at the time they weren't hiring. Simple as that. Early nineties, uh, when you're trying to get at your first uh, major job and there was huge cutbacks back then. So, so first camping trip. 12 years old, you're going out on a winter camping trip and you froze your butt off, did you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I found out the the value of changing clothes inside the sleeping bag and the value of not wearing the same clothes to bed that you wore during the day. Because, <laughs> you know, you're, you're too lazy to take off those clothes because you're, you know, you've got them warmed up, but then all of a sudden you stop moving, that sweat starts to get cold. Yes. Ooh, life lesson. Do you still do a fair bit of camping? Um, Glamping. Glamping, okay. That's my wife would call it. Um, because we basically live out in the, in the wilderness as it is right now. There's not a whole lot of thrill to it. So when we do go, we actually go a couple times a year to a set of hot springs here, just north of, or just south of uh, Pemberton. Um, but we bring everything. We bring the coal and stove, we bring the tent, we bring everything else because we're there to relax. We're not there to like rough it. Right. If we want, uh, like every day I'm out roughing it because I'm out, you know, working with my hands. I go on a 5k hike to start the day with the dogs and everything right. else. So I'm busy enough, but. That brings up a good point. Physical fitness. Best preparedness thing you can have, and there's no way to get it in the, in the, like fast. You know, you have to build that up over the long term. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, 
gotta say I'm actually a bit out of shape right now because of the COVID thing because uh, you know you just sit around and eat and you don't work half as hard as you used to. <laughs> but um, yeah, we actually did a whole episode on that because that's that's one of those things where as a as a means of long term preparedness for yourself, rather than having to run to the hospital for various procedures that would come up as as regards to uh, ill health, ill eating, or everything else, the best thing you can do is keep your body in shape. Mm-hmm. And if you do have to outrun those zombies, cardio is key. It'll help. It'll help. You've been raised in an environment. You've been raised around firearms, raised in on farms. You've been with the Boy Scouts, and you've been really prepping your entire life, essentially, whether you were planning to do it or it's just something, a, a byproduct of your environment. If you were to try and distill everything you had right now, and tell somebody else, some Vancouver urbanite who is interested in being more prepared, who's now realized that things can go sideways, what would you tell them? Well, uh, you're absolutely right. Things can go sideways as we're, we're currently witnessing right now. Like nobody saw this coming a year ago. And, you know, it's affected a lot of people with their jobs. So from a financial preparedness aspect to health with some people, I mean, some people not only they they infected with the, the COVID-19, some people are getting their surgeries delayed which they didn't see coming mm. or, you know, maybe they can't get to a doctor. So as far as distilling it down to one thing. Um, or not even just one thing. Like if you wanted to distill all of that information, everything that you've learned over the years, can, can you shortcut it for people? Are there some things that you have found that just were a waste of time and other things that you've looked at and said, man, I really, if I double down on ghosting or if I double down on my physical fitness at this point, that would have made, it really pays dividends. Physical fitness, uh, I would say actually is number one because I'm still struggling with it 20 years later. Like I, I've, I've had a very sedentary job after I left the, the bush flying and after I joined like a scheduled airline uh, log before this major one that I'm at now, um, it becomes a very sedentary lifestyle and um, I'm having to fight that a long ways. And, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to get back in shape when you're older and I'm pushing sure. 50 than it is uh, to, you know, just to maintain your shape if you're already in shape. So uh, I would say physical fitness is not something that anybody in the city can do. Like, you know, I don't want to draw the, the comparison to the hamster in the wheel there, but I mean, even if you're on a spin class or if you're in a, if you go skateboarding around Stanley Park or like just do something. And I mean, sure. if you do something today, you're better off than you were yesterday. So it doesn't have to be anything major. It doesn't have to be like, you know, um, do your, your uh, WCB, what do they call that? Uh, for, it's not industrial first aid anymore. It's WCB something. OF, first aid. Uh, OFA, occupational. Yeah, occupational yeah. health. Right. You don't have to get that out of the way right away. But if you took a standard first aid course, that's one thing. Okay, so you're, you're better off than you were last weekend. Mm. Just do one thing at a time. So physical fitness and then start doing one thing at a time. Don't feel overwhelmed. The world is not going to end tomorrow. And um, in the meantime, if you can just uh, gradually build yourself up, you'll be fine. Just one step at a time. One step at a time. And don't let your ego get in the way of uh, being willing to learn something because just because you are the expert uh, coding guy at your local IT shop doesn't mean you can't learn how to do first aid because, and just because you've never done it before, doesn't mean you can't ask somebody because most people are more than willing to share what they know or, or what might be their passion. I like that. That's really good advice. For me, physical fitness is very important. Mental fitness is just as important, if not more so. And I find that physical fitness will help with the mental fitness. It'll help with the perspective. It'll help with the problem solving. Well, it's one thing leads to another. When you have physical fitness, it's going to lead to good mental fitness. And sure. like you said, so there is a lot of um, interoperability with a, a lot of those concepts. And when you have positive mental attitudes, which again, it's hard to overcome that mental inertia. If you're sitting on the couch playing Xbox and you don't want to do anything that day, by going and being a little more physically active, you get a positive feedback from that. You feel like you accomplished something, then you might want to accomplish something more. 
It's going to lead us to more and more productivity down the road. It's amazing how these things are intertwined quite a bit. And so, as you know, everything's a mental game. And I'm and I'm finding that I'm watching people during COVID, and some people are just having no problem with it, and some people it's really affecting them. Are losing their mind because right. they didn't see it coming. They didn't want to think. They don't. They don't want to think about it because uh, yeah. the normalcy bias. The, you know, just because they were able to go to the grocery store and get today's food only yesterday doesn't mean they can't do it today, right? Or they blow it up ten times bigger in their mind, and they just they're falling apart. Or they're extremely social creatures, and they're finding it difficult to not be socializing like they were before. Yeah, and if so, if you can uh, learn to inoculate yourself with some stress, um, you know, play the mental game. So, you know, when you talk about physical fitness leading to a good mental game, mental, mental game comes into play when you're sport shooting, uh, whether it be skeet, trap, uh, competitive ipstick shooting, everything else, there's always a mental game involved. Huge, so, huge. And if you start thinking about potential what-ifs down the road, and there's some uh, scenarios in your mind that, are, that worry you, earthquakes, forest fires in BC, um, water shortages even, um, maybe if you're worried about terrorism, it's just something you should think about. That way, when the day comes along, you've kind of inoculated yourself or at least developed some sort of a plan in your mind. Of, Here's what I would do and make a list. If you really want to make a list, make a list of, you know, steps you would take in case of X happens. Um, that mental game is huge and it would lead to a lot of people now. I actually, I've seen a lot of it myself. Uh, you know, some people uh, in like friends, family, whatever, uh, that are having different adjustment uh, reactions to this and some farewell, some, some don't. Right. And, uh, we actually had one girl come over to buy some hatching eggs off of us because now all of a sudden everybody's into chickens, right? And of course. Everybody yeah. wants to get their own chickens because it's a good idea to have some food self-reliance. Yeah. And she came over and, and she was talking with us for about two or three hours and we were expecting her to be there for 10 minutes. And we, we love her. She's great. Yeah. Um, and we were having a grand old time chatting away. And after a while we realized she's just bored. She doesn't want to leave because she <laughs> doesn't want to go home because, you know, she, she's just missing the social interaction because her, you know, I think her mental game was just not prepared to handle the, the, the isolation that this has brought upon of people. Yeah, that's tough. The biggest way you can prepare yourself is mental role play. Those lists, great idea. Put your list down, write them up and check back a week later. Maybe you have fresh thoughts on it, but the more that you prepare mentally, the better you're going to be when, when the shit hits a fan. Yeah, also because it's very tough to find somebody to spitball with things with because uh, being naturally close, you know, guarded people and a little paranoid type of thing, um, it's hard to find somebody that's like-minded and, and, you know, that you can bounce stuff off of. But uh, I tell you, being able to talk with somebody about potential scenarios uh, takes a lot of the stress away from it or a lot of the, the overwhelming nature of it. So that's huge. Yeah. And leads to a better performance under pressure. Well, I think we've got something else really important that we should be talking about. Oh. And I think we have some things that you'd like to plug. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, first things first, we should talk about the one thing that's remaining. I think everything else has been canceled this year, but we should talk about TACOM coming up in September. Yeah, they haven't canceled that yet, have no, they? No, not at all. So, uh, so far, I think they're the, the lone holdout. Uh, that's uh, going to be early September, uh, September 11th, 12th, 13th, I believe. Hopefully I didn't get the dates wrong there. Yeah. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes and it's going to be in Mississauga right by the uh, Pearson Airport and uh, the equivalent of SHOT Show for Canada and it's going to be the biggest one yet. So hopefully it's still going uh, as long as this uh, COVID-19 has not affected them that way. But I just want to give a quick shout out to, to Fred at uh, TACOM because he's been uh, really good with us. He's offered us a place to uh, plug our podcast. Also um, now for myself, uh, every Sunday evening we try and record our podcast, which is Canadian Prepper Podcast. Uh, Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. Pacific. 9 p.m. Eastern, and uh, we are actually wide open to topic ideas. So if you have something you want us to cover, uh, something you want to learn more about or that hasn't been covered in our previous episodes, just drop us a line. Uh, you can email me at uh, theislandretreat at gmail.com and uh, also feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. 
And uh, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere fine podcasts are sold. <laughs> and uh, then, of course, I also uh, do a little uh, more of a political commentary on Mondays uh, under Canadian Patriot Podcast, which is also at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, that's recorded. Both of them are recorded live to Facebook and YouTube. Uh, so you can watch us uh, do our hiccups here live, which is always embarrassing. But uh, both good shows. I think the Patriot Podcast is a little more salty. Uh, and, you know, if you if you get, you know, your feelings hurt easily, probably don't show up to that one. But <laughs> but as far as uh, learning, uh, it's more of a how-to show. Is definitely Sunday evenings for the Prepper Podcast. That's fantastic, Ian. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed having you. Well, it's been a pleasure, Travis. Thanks. 